Well, good morning, Veritas. Good morning. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, man, it is my privilege to be able to um, welcome you into a journey through the book of 2 Timothy. And by the way, Dalton and all of you guys, thanks for leading us this morning. Uh, it just sets your heart right to be able to hear from God when you've already been communicating with him your praise. So anyway, these guys do a masterful job at that. So now we're going to turn our attention to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament, uh, a unique little book. And I, I just got to confess to you guys, if you could see my notes, you would see big red lines going all the way through the top paragraph. And here's the reason for that. Um, I'm talking to my son and my wife last night. I said, oh man, you know, just thinking about Father's Day tomorrow and thinking about my dad and, and I'm going on and on. And finally, Seth said, hey dad, you know Father's Day isn't tomorrow, right? And I was like, no, it is. It's totally tomorrow. He goes, no, Dad, it's not. I'm sh- I, I, you know, he got on his phone. He's like, so this whole perfect, he goes, well, you weren't going to make that a big part of your message, were you? I was like, yeah, actually it was. It was going to be the whole intro of my message. So on the old editing room floor goes the whole intro. So all that to say, you've got a real professional in front of you. Um, Instead, we're going to take up that time and go right to 2 Timothy. So here's the deal about 2 Timothy. By the way, happy Father's Day for next week to all of you men out there. Um, the cool thing about this book is that it is, uh, it's actually the last words that we hear from the Apostle Paul, such a key figure in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, right? The Apostle Paul. And these are his last words. Anytime you, you know, tune into last words, from important people, all of us, you know, should rightly lean in even a little bit more. What do they have to say in those last moments? Probably in my mind, as I thought about last words, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who is this uh, Christian theologian um, leading up to and then entering into the time of the Holocaust, a German theologian, uh, ended up becoming a martyr, ended up giving his, his life and um, his last words as recorded by the soldier that would end up taking him to his place of execution, his last words were this, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. You know, just staring at his place of execution, yeah, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life, right? So anytime you have somebody that you look up to and you hear their last words, there's something about those words that especially resonate. That's what we've got with 2 Timothy. And I want to encourage you guys, it's a short enough book that if you really want to get the most out of 2 Timothy over these next weeks uh, throughout the summer, you guys start this next week by just reading the whole thing all at once. It would take you like 10 or 15 minutes, I promise you, to just read the whole thing. Because I think there's something about getting the whole sweep of those final words that are going to help you as you then slow down and see the individual pieces along the way. So here's the deal. Paul is in prison. He's about to be executed, and he knows that he's about to be executed. And sometimes you've heard about Paul's imprisonments, and I I, I need to clarify, there's a couple different imprisonments. One, an earlier arrest, he was in kind of what we would might think of as house arrest. He had his own rented place. People could come and frequent him. He wrote some of the epistles from that place. A pretty strong level of freedom, kind of house arrest. Everybody, the, the authorities knew where he was, but but not very restrictive. This is not that. This arrest that he is in and is about to go to be executed is likely 
kind of a, a hewn out, more of a cave, kind of a pit with maybe one little air hole by which they would drop him enough food just to keep him alive. He might be able to pass a letter or receive a letter through that, but very scary, very dark, very treacherous. Um, and I want you to see a couple verses before we dive into the, the opening lines, but go to 2 Timothy 2 with me. I want you to see how he um, talks about his, the state that, that he's in right here. So look at verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, remember Jesus Christ. He's writing to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. He's describing just the, the shackles, the being bound. He's like, oh, but that's okay. Because the gospel is stronger than I am, and it's free, and it's going all over the world. You know, but he's talking about being bound like a criminal. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, 4, 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. So a drink offering where you would take you know, the drink and just pour it on the altar. He said, I'm being poured out. My life is being spent the time for my departure is close. And look at this epic line. Some of you remember this line, 4-7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Like already speaking of it in past tense because that's how near and real it is. Like I've, I've finished. There's the finish line. I'm, about, I'm leaning across and thank God I, I, I didn't give up, right? So as we read through this, this short letter of 2 Timothy, I want you to be looking for one, the seriousness of the book. He, he's writing to Timothy, and you're going to see this strain of like sober seriousness. Like, this is likely the last thing I'm going to say. You need to perk up. Listen to what I'm saying, Timothy, and now to all of us in Iowa in 2021. Listen, this is really important. Everything that I want to leave with you is contained in this little book. So there's a seriousness, there's an urgency to it. In fact, um, Back in chapter 4 again, verse 18, I love this, this line. 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's this urgency because he's like, look, I'm going to go be with Christ. But Timothy, I'm leaving you with the work that has to be done. And so you're going to feel this urgency like, look, I, I'm going to be taken care of you, on the other hand, have to grab the baton where I drop it, and you've got to carry on this mission. But maybe most importantly is what you're going to find is this letter is deeply personal. It's unlike any of his other letters in the emotion that, that, that he brings to this letter. There's this beautiful love that I think Timothy will surely receive as he reads these words and that we will receive as we read them now too. This love, this trust. He, he's not like, I don't know. It, think of like a dad handing the keys to his son the first time they're going to drive and they're kind of like, I, I, I think I can, oh, do I want to give these to you? That kind of thing. No, 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 none of that in this letter. This is like, oh, Timothy, I so trust you. You are so ready for this, this confidence. And really what it comes down to, you guys, a fatherly approval. 
And I know because I talked to a, a, a lot of you, many of you didn't have the kind of fatherly approval that you wish you maybe could have had in this mortal life. Here's what I'm saying. I want you to just be bathed in fatherly approval as you read through this text because it just comes through page after page. So I want to do this. I want to read the opening lines from it. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to have it on the screens. Would you stand with me? And let's read verses 1 through 7 out loud all together. Let's receive the word of God as, uh, as it comes to us. So ready? Let's do this all together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm convinced, is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God, these are your words. They're coming now to us through the ages. Oh, Lord, give us ears to hear what you have for us. Maybe in a similar way that Timothy would have been hanging on every word that he was reading. In our spirits, Lord, I pray that you'd give us that kind of hunger, that kind of interest, that kind of curiosity to know what you'd have for us. Why does this book come to us today? How is it to intersect our lives? Holy Spirit, only you can do that magical work of taking this ancient text and making it come alive into our souls. So that's what we pray for, Holy Spirit. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I want to point out at least three things that I think are of, of real note that I think should land in your heart, your soul, in, in Veritas Church. And the first one is this. Church, what we're going to learn is we are to live as a connected family, all right? If there's one thing that's going to come through, even in these opening lines, is that we, church, are to live as a connected family. What you saw right away when you started reading this is that he's writing not to some, uh, you know, em employee or something. It's to my dearly loved son. It's this family language, familial language throughout the whole thing. Um, there's another text that I thought of that I, I want to share with you. I'm going to have it on the screen for you from Philippians chapter 2. Here's what he said about Timothy also. In writing, this is a much earlier letter to the, the church that resided in the city of Philippi. He says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else. Listen to what he says about Timothy. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. 
all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But not so Timothy, right? But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. I mean, that level of just total trust and love and confidence that he has. And the reason that he wants the Philippians to be able to know him as well is because he captures Philippians too. He really believes that others are more important than himself. He's like, I can't wait for you to get to have Timothy. I can't wait for him to minister among you, right? He's got such love, this family kind of tone to the whole thing. So guys, again, Paul could have seen Timothy as just a really important um, tool in kingdom work, you know, to be able to be useful to him. He could have seen him as just a good worker, as an understudy, as an apprentice. No, he addresses him as family, as, as a son. And here's what I, I want us to do, man, as I, as I reflected on this, this this week. That whole tone, that whole culture that was created, guys, that's supposed to be the culture of God's church, the culture of family, the culture of, of, of relationship, the culture of trust, the culture of, of needing one another, but not just because you're useful, but because we're family, right? So as I thought about that, I was like, man, God, I so need father figures in my life. Even now at my age, right? I still need father figures and you need father figures in your life. That's why we're birthed not into just isolation as Christ followers, we're birthed into a family, the church. So I was thinking about in my own personal life a couple years ago, coming out of some difficult times and God opened up this opportunity to spend a, a couple days with this father figure kind of guy, a guy a decade and a half or so older, older than me, but he's been in life a lot longer, known Jesus. And you guys, there are still verses in my Bible that he pointed me to that I remember hearing him quote to me because I needed at some point somebody further down the road, somebody to speak courage back into me. And it was just awesome to have a father figure. I thought how much we need mother figures in our life. Older women that are able to speak back into us. So lately, I've been taking walks with um, Elizabeth Elliot. Okay, so some of you know uh, the, the name Elizabeth Elliot. She's no longer with us when I say I'm taking a walk with her. It's because uh, Mark actually found or discovered, or maybe Letha did, somebody discovered a podcast where they're taking all these lectures that she gave, mostly to gathered university women. And she would, she would speak to them. A lot of these lectures are, and they've recorded them and kept them. Her granddaughter has, and now they're, they're, there's a podcast of them. And I've been listening. I've been walking and letting Elizabeth Elliot, a couple days ago, it was on marriage. And listening to this mother figure teach me all over again some of the basic foundational truths of what is a Christian marriage. I found myself being coached and helped and encouraged to be the kind of husband that I should be. We need mother figures, right? And then we just need siblings. We need peers. We need each other. Just this last week, having guys that are at, at my same level, at my same point in the journey, speaking into me and helping each other and iron sharpening iron. All Here's what I'm saying. The church ought to be the kind of place for all the above. And hopefully, the church is also the kind of place where there's some people that aren't quite as far along as you are, that you're able, you are the older brother or sister helping them and coaxing them along. Um, Guys, that is to be the culture of God's church. In, in, in verse 4, he had said to Timothy, he had said, Remembering your tears, I long to see you 
so they may be filled with joy. Guys, when Paul said that, it wasn't, man, I really long to see you because there's a few things I hadn't told you about yet. Wait, I've got a, a couple more pages in the playbook of how to do this church thing, and I've got to make sure I download everything because I'm going to be gone. You've got to know the whole playbook. No, it's, hey, the reason I want to see you, Timothy, I still want to be with you. I know you're hurting because I'm going, and I'm kind of hurting because I'm going, but I just, I just want to see you. I, I know it's going to fill my life with joy. And guys, I was, do you remember a couple of years ago, yeah, two Easter's ago, that we looked at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from the Gospel of John, which was in chapter 20, and then before John closes off the Gospel, he gives this interesting account. I hope you remember, if you were around, some of you are brand new and you weren't here when we did this, but at the end of the Gospel of John, he had said this, there are, you know, things written um, so that you could believe in Jesus the Messiah, this whole book of John he's saying was written. But man, there's a whole lot more that could be said about his life. I don't have time to write everything in his life. But he says, oh, one more memory. He opens chapter 21. Oh, wait, one more thing. Here is the way he revealed himself, he said. And you remember what it was? John wants to give this postscript to how Jesus revealed himself. Ah, before I close, here's the way. All of the apostles had gotten together and the disciples had decided to go fishing and Jesus stands on the shore as they're out in the boat, and he's like, hey, you guys, you haven't caught anything, have you? Hey, try fishing on the other side of the boat. And you remember the story, the all sorts of fish, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh, it's Jesus. Peter jumps in, swims all the way to shore. When they all get to shore, finally, there's Jesus with breakfast ready. They sit around. They start eating. Now, he's got some really important things to say to them, but it is remarkable that what John says is, here's the way Jesus revealed himself. A campfire with friends calling them friends hey come on in I already got a meal ready for you right I'm just trying to emphasize guys that the whole church enterprise if we're gonna follow Jesus the way Jesus revealed himself it's that we are family but there's one other way by the way that I think Paul's instructing us on what it means to live as a connected family look again at verse 3 he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. As my ancestors did. He's, he's like, you know what? I actually just received the baton from those that came before me. Men like David. Men like Moses. Men like Abraham. Men like Josiah, right? Men like Josiah. And he's like, I want to... I want to be as faithful in the way that the baton has been handed to me as my ancestors did this connectivity to those that have gone before. So I thought about this, church. We came to know Jesus in Iowa, right? And the reason we're here is because of how faithful our ancestors carried the gospel to where it got all the way to us. And there's something we need to kind of look over our shoulder the way Paul is and say, man, I want to be faithful like they were. So there's this book that maybe a year ago or so several were were reading and we talk about we're going to actually have some copies i think it's out right now at the resource center we're going to beef that thing up we're going to talk about that in a bit but um there's a book called the patient ferment of the early church and it's all about what what was stoking the fire of the early church that we should be looking back over our shoulder like our ancestors you know and and mimic their kind of faith here's the one thing one line out of that book the church grew in numbers, talking about the early church, the 
church that, that Paul birthed. The church grew in numbers because they were distinct from the unjust, living patiently in relation to their neighbors and even their enemies, doing good to them and waiting for them to come to faith. The early church did not grow. It did not increase to the point where in Iowa, the gospel would be alive and well. It wasn't because they had great strategy. It wasn't because they had incredible organization. It wasn't because they had all the handbooks of how to get this thing done. The reason that the church flourished and expanded the way our ancestors did it in the church, they lived patiently. When they encountered either just neighbors or even enemies, they did good to them. They were waiting for them to come to faith. It caused me to ask myself a pretty sobering question. If we could talk to some of our ancestors in the faith, the first, second, third century Christians, if we could bring them to today and they could hear us talking about the kind of persecution that we're going under in America right now, how tough we have it as Christians. You know what I mean? I wonder what our ancestors would say to us, right? What would our ancestors say? I think what they'd say is, well, let me ask you this. Are you being distinct from your neighbors and even your enemies? Are you, are you showing yourself to be on a very different path, using a different set of tools than they are using? Because if we're growing as suspicious and hate-filled and angry as they are, no, no, no. That's not the way the church flourishes. The church flourishes as we live patiently, as we do good to those that are neighbors and enemies. The church flourishes as we're actually here to see that they would come to know Christ. And so do that, right? Guys, I was pondering all this stuff this last week, and there's a park across the street from my house. I went over to the park, and it was super early in the morning, and Okay, I'm going to probably embarrass you by this, but I was actually exercising outdoors in the park, and you're like, oh, don't do that. You know, and I'm like, I know. I, I actually make sure nobody else is around because I don't want to be that guy, that creeper 50-plus-year-old dude. Anyway, so I, I'm alone in the park. I'm trying to assure you. I'm alone in the park. I'm doing this. Anyway, and I've got my, my AirPods in because I'm a good Christian, so I'm listening to a sermon along the way. And actually, I was. I was listening to a great sermon. And all of a sudden, uh, I, I was kind of startled because this, this woman was kind of all of a sudden walking closer to me than I, I hadn't seen her coming or whatever. Then she goes over on this bench. And here is what I want to confess to you guys. She looked kind of bedraggled, had this head covering on, and then went and sat down. And immediately, I kind of assessed who she was. And that's all. I'm listening. I've got my sermon going. You know, I'm listening. I'm becoming a good Christian, you know. So I end up getting done with my thing, and I go walk. There's, there's a little bench where she said, I end up, you know, starting to walk away, and all of a sudden, everything kind of, you know, went out, and I realized, oh, man, I dropped my phone back, and it, you know, we ran out of range. So I had to go back. So as I turn around to go back, and there's the bench, I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was like God saying, talk to her talk to her. So I stopped and I took my AirPods out and all of a sudden, this whole little assessment as I got to tell her, she was this older woman on her way back 
from a job walking home. But actually, she had another job that she was going to be going to pretty soon. And so she said, oh, I just, just need to rest. Very thick accent. And I just want to feel the sun on my face. And we ended up having this beautiful talk. And all of a sudden, this Ethiopian woman went from this assessment that I had made in my head to all of a sudden engaging her. And she became like this noble, almost princess. And I had this glorious talk with her. And then I started thinking later, I'm like, well, actually, you know what? The church actually that made its way to Iowa actually bubbled and fermented and did a lot in ancient Ethiopia. And actually, they became a lot of the missionaries that would end up fueling the mission that would come to us, right? And now all of a sudden, I've got an Ethiopian back in my backyard. And all of a sudden, all this thing, I'm just saying, guys, I want to serve God like my ancestors did that saw neighbors and saw strangers and sometimes even enemies as people that I need to love and serve and reach out to and see that they would come to know Christ. That's what fueled the early church, not strategies and not you know hierarchies and not figuring out how we're going to do it in playbooks. No, no, no. Love for people. <laughs> so I want to serve God like myself. So the church, we're this interconnected family. I want to think of you as family. I want to think of my ancestors as people that could teach me. I want to follow in their line. Okay, let's, let's look at the next thing. The next thing I wanted to point out, church, don't replace the family, though. Only build on it. Okay, all this talk about the church being a family. But understand, the church doesn't replace family. It builds on it. We, we just become like an expression of family, but that doesn't disclude family. Look at verse five, just the one verse where he says, I recall your sincere faith that first in, lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Guys, uh, it's likely we know from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy had an unbelieving father, unbelieving father. But man, when the gospel got to Lystra, where he was from, his grandmother became a believer, his mother became a believer, and they had real faith, sincere, like authentic, deep faith. And that faith trickled down and captivated Timothy. Paul's saying, I don't take any credit. Even though Paul's likely the guy that took the gospel to that city where the grandmother and mother received it. He took no credit. No, no, no. You got this from your grandmother and your mother, that real faith. I'm just trying to say, parents... You cannot underestimate the role that you have in passing sincere faith onto your children. It doesn't often happen necessarily in the context of the gathered church. It happens at homes. It happens as real faith is birthed and then passed along to the next generation. Do not underestimate the role that you have. Yet yeah, the church is a family, but it doesn't replace real fa- biological family, adopted family. And I think it's worth noting, you guys, in this, that, guys, fathers are to be the spiritual leaders in the home, right? I mean, Deuteronomy 6, fathers, you're the ones that are tell the story, tell the story. But often, guys, often in the biblical narrative, it is godly mothers and grandmothers that are really critical in passing the faith along. So I just want to say, it's not even Mother's Day. I just want to say collectively to moms, well done, and take that seriously, Right? Yes, dads, it doesn't take you off the hook. You are, you know, given that, that privilege of passing the faith along. But I'm telling you, Timothy was a product of a godly grandmother and mother that passed the faith 
Uh, so we've got Veritas Kids, we've got Veritas Youth, we've got Salt Company, we've got all sorts of age-appropriate ministries, and I hope those do everything they can to point people to Jesus, but they don't replace your role, parents. They just come alongside and build on what you guys are doing. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to land in our last moments together, the last couple of verses. Let me read again verses 6 and 7 to you, because I think this is really, really important for us. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Church, we have to rekindle courage. Church, we have to rekindle courage. Here's what Paul knows about Timothy. He gets discouraged a lot. When you read both 1st and 2nd Timothy, you get the idea that he's often dispirited. He's often discouraged. Why? Because ministry can be a slog. It can be a tough, tough road, especially in cities like Ephesus, where he was. Especially in cities like Iowa City. It can be tough. You're going against the grain. You feel like, does anybody want to hear this stuff? Why does everything that we say seem to be so countercultural in our day, right, in our city? And so it can be tough, it can be a grind, it can be a slog. And in addition to that, Timothy himself is a young dude. Often there, he's having to say, Timothy, don't let him despise you because of your youthfulness. Guys, here's what's really crazy about that. He is likely at least in his mid-30s at this point. <laughs> in his mid-30s. And yet by the standards of, you know, God's church, a young dude to be sent out to be pastoring on his own. And so he's like, hey, you feel inadequate because you're so young. And apparently he's got a weak physiology earlier in the first book of Timothy, first Timothy. Paul's like, man, I hear you get sick a lot. You shouldn't just drink the water, drink some wine with the water to help your stomach. Cause I hear you're sick. He's a sickly guy. And then in addition to that, he's a timid guy. I think just his, his, his psyche or whatever is a little bit more timid. And so he's trying to say, you got to rekindle courage, Timothy. And I love the way he talks about the laying out of hands. Likely, what he's trying to say is, Timothy, you've got to start believing about you what we all believe about you. And that laying out of hands is probably a, a level of ordination. Like when the church saw what a gifted guy was and and what a contribution he could make. They laid hands on him and say, go and plant God's church. And he's saying, all of us that surround you and laid our hands on you, ordaining you, you got to start believing about you, what we all believe about you, and let that stoke your courage. So Veritas, the reality is the evangelical church, the Bible-believing Christians in America right now, there's just a lot of fear blowing around in the wind of the church. A lot of fear, guys. And, and when people get afraid, they do one of two things, right? You've heard this, fight or flight. And we see a lot of Christians feeling like they want, need to do one or the other. It's either, come on, we're gonna fight them. You know, we get terror and rage in our eyes, right? Or run, we gotta get out of here, right? So they're either coming for us and so we're gonna be enraged or we're like all gonna move to Kelowna or something, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden it's like, Man, that looks pretty good, you know? Driving down to Kelowna, man, is that, is that Lance? Is all is a horse and buggy? What's going on? Anyway, we want to either rage, like what we feel like is coming at us, 
where we want to hightail and get out. Here's what I'm saying. I think the reality is that religious liberty, as we have known it in our country, in America, the great American experiment, right, has afforded Christians, well, and honestly, every other religion, unbelievable freedom, sweeping freedoms in Christ that you guys, it could be argued, no other people in all of history around the world has ever known the kind of freedoms that we've had. Okay? It's been unbelievable what the church has been given in the freedoms that we have had and I believe have used it to spread the gospel around the world and I think that window may be closing. Right? Let's just be honest about it. Some of the different things coming our way are telling us that maybe that full-blown freedom that we've had is starting to at least become more inhibiting. So you should vote accordingly. You should be active doing what good citizens do. But here's what I want us to say behind all that. Let's decide to be 2 Timothy 2, 7 people no matter what comes our way. Right? We've got to rekindle courage. We've got to rekindle power, love, and sound judgment. Power, not power up, not power like go out and fight. It's power to stand. I'd encourage you to read through Ephesians 6 where, man, our, our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against these principalities. And you know what? After everything they've got comes at us, we're still standing. We're still there. Stand firm in the power, right? Psalm 23, he lets us catch our breath when we think we're believing. No, no, no. We catch our breath because God's spirit is in us. We've got to love when, when enemies come at us. You know what we do? We love them back. We offer them our coat, right? We give them the cup of cold water. We decide that we're going to love when everything against it is coming against us. We choose love. We choose sound judgment. When we want to fly off the handle, when, we, when we're desperate to try to figure this out, all of a sudden God's word kind of comes to mind and gives us the right thing to say and the right action to take. God's word flies into our souls and gives us a path. Guys, Christians, we don't run from fear. And we don't attack fear. We stand firm. We rekindle courage. Because when fear comes at us, here's what we need to stare down. Here's what... We, we need to be able to say boldly, what are you going to do? Take my money? Take my tax advantage away? Whatever, you know, like, you're going to take my money? Well, get, get this. I'm wrapped in the riches of Jesus Christ. I've got an inheritance that can never spoil or fade or be taken from me. Oh, you're just going to take all my money? Well, get this. This is a pittance compared to what Christ has promised me in eternity. Oh, you're going to take my religious liberty? That's what... Oh, bring it on. You know what I hear? The gospel is going crazy in Iran right now. Maybe one of the most, you know irreligious places for Christians, one of the places that the gospel is trying to be stamped out is actually becoming like a prairie fire for the gospel. Millions of people come to know Christ in Iran. Oh, well, maybe the way that the gospel's going to go around this nation like a wildfire is by a little restriction of my religious liberty. That's all you got? Bring it on. Oh, you're going to take my life? You're going to snuff me out? Sweet, because I get to close my eyes in death and awaken in the arms of Jesus where he just says, 
well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the rest that your master has prepared for you, right? That's what gives us courage. That's what allows us to, to actually offer love, to have a sound mind. Like we, we have our hope in Jesus Christ. Church, I don't diminish what we're up against. What I am saying is maybe 2 Timothy is here this summer to prepare us to be the kind of people that no matter what happens, we're the kind of people that can stand. And more than just stand, that the gospel would go out like maybe never before. Isn't that an awesome opportunity we've got? So here's the thing. I'd love for you to stand with me because I've got a prayer that I'm going to have on the screen. Not for you to necessarily recite out loud with me, but um, like I said, I've been into this Elizabeth Elliot moment again in my life, and her husband, Jim Elliot, was martyred, killed by the people that he was taking the gospel to. But here was his prayer. God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee, consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I will not seek a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Guys, he penned this into his journal right after meeting with an older godly saint, someone in the family of God, penned this into his journal, and little knowing that the age of 28, he would actually have lived a full life, but not a very long one, with no regrets. Man, may that be the prayer of our life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, teach us what it means, Lord, to tap into and rekindle courage. Lord, don't allow us to be consumed with the spirit of fear. That's not from you, Lord. Allow us to be filled with power and love and sound judgment. I don't want to seek a long life, Lord. I want to seek a full one. Lord Jesus, following your path. So use this little book, Lord, to rekindle courage and prepare us for whatever the day brings. Jesus, we follow you. We follow you. And we are so, so glad to do so. In Christ's name we pray.